0: Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. Like physically, we were all fine. Um, you know, it was it was purely psychological at that point. And uh, we, you know, it was like in my head since that day, I was like, I'm going to come back and do a expedition race.
1: OK, you people sit tight, hold the fort and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He said we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatons. We have a momentous evening tonight. Um, we have our first three-time guest coming on the show. That's right. This is uh, over 50 episodes of the Dark Zone, and one person has been on three times. Well, that's not really true because Brent Freeland's been on a couple of times, but let's not talk about him. Let's talk about Mary Foster. <laughs> Mary Foster is our first official three-time visitor. She's been on Dark Zone 36 talking about her uh, her race at Endless Mountains, Dark Zone 47, which was a flash episode during Nationals. And now episode 50-something, we have Mary joining us to talk about her trajectory into the sport, where she, how she went from being not really a, a big racer to being more of a racer to being a really big racer now and having done multi-day stuff. So Mary, welcome to the Dark Zone. Thank you for coming on the show. We're really, really grateful that you're here.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So. As I was saying before we began to chat here, um, a large part of the dark zone, we try really, really hard to focus on the beginner racer, people who are new to the sport, getting into it. They may hear about racing. They may hear about a six-hour race or a 10-hour race, but making that leap feels like a lot. Can you walk us through your entry to the sport? What did you first learn about AR? When did you dip your toe into the water? How did it go for you?
0: So my intro to the sport was uh, I just come back from my honeymoon and I went out to dinner with my best friend, Samantha. She said at the time we were doing like Spartan races, obstacle course races, half marathon runs, things like that. Um, and we went out to dinner when I got back from my honeymoon and she was like, Hey, I found this race. I think we should do it. Um, the race was, uh, buff Betty, six hour buff Betty, um, October, 2013. I didn't even own a bike. I hadn't been on a bike since I was, I don't know, eight, nine, um, didn't own a bike, thought she was crazy. Um, but we decided to go for it. So I bought a bike and I rode it two or three times and then we went to the buff Betty. <laughs> And that's, that's how I got started. Um, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we thought we knew how to use a compass before we started the race. We thought we were in good shape before we started the race. We ended up pulling the directions, um, on how to use a compass out of my pack. It's 10 minutes into the race. Cause apparently we forgot how to use a compass <laughs> And uh, we made it through the whole six hours. And I remember sitting at the picnic table at the end of that race, hurting every part of my body hurt. And she was the same way. And we're looking around like everybody's laughing, walking around, having a good time. And we were like, do do they not hurt right now? (laughs) And we thought we were in shape and we, uh, that's how we got hooked
1: how dedicated were you to those activities were they social in nature or were you doing your best to be as competitive and as fast as possible
0: um I wasn't I wouldn't say that I was super dedicated to any one thing um was kind of open for anything you know if somebody was like hey let's do this obviously I'd be like all right sure I'll try that um you know I was at that point at the start of adventure racing, um, Greg and I were heavily into um, pers- getting doing personal training at the gym and group fitness classes and stuff. So um, there wasn't really one thing that I was into, and I was kind of open to trying anything um and i just got hooked on adventure racing as right. you and,
1: <laughs> and, so, and so you had the six hour buff betty we, i love the fact that you had to stop during the race to read the instructions on how a compass works oh um, yeah i
0: had to pull them out yeah. in the middle like full-blown
1: yeah. take it out like the n means this and we turn in this oh, direction yeah. oh yeah
0: full-blown pulled out the instructions laid them on the ground Like laid the compass beside the instructions and we're both like hovering over this. Like, are we doing this right? Because when they said start, we thought we knew what we were doing with the compass, but then everybody else ran in a completely different direction than we went and we just kept going cuz we were you, like
1: you were like you're like we figured this out those fools out oh, there right. they run the yeah, wrong way of
0: course we were like <laughs> what are they doing and so, then when we got to the lake we realized we were not supposed to be
1: at the lake <laughs> got it got it and then it, and then it was it was time to read the instructions
0: yes and that's <laughs> when we pulled out the instructions so so during that experience
1: a pretty big leap right so many people in 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 the world they don't want to show weakness. They don't want to show vulnerability. They don't want to show that they're not good at something. And so too many people avoid doing things like that because they're concerned about how others will perceive them. Oh, sure. Why Why not for you?
0: Um, That's not I, – I wouldn't say that for myself. So Samantha and I raced together, just the two of us, for a few years um, until she – I guess you could say retired from the sport. When she retired from the sport, she had been my only teammate ever. And I almost refused to race with anybody because I didn't believe that I could keep up. Um, I didn't believe that I had the skills. And I, I almost needed to prove to myself that I could do it by myself before I would do it with other people. Um, so I actually raced solo quite a bit, um, just to push my own boundaries, um, get lost on my own, get found on my own, um, and, and have that confidence that, yeah, maybe I can race with other people. Maybe I'm not as slow as I thought I was, or maybe my nav isn't as bad as I think it is. I raced solo for for quite a while, actually. Um, until I started racing with others again.
1: And so, so you and Samantha raced together as a team, but from what you're saying there, you were really basically one person, right? You were a unit racing together and you were happy to be vulnerable in front of her and not really do a good job. But when she decided to, to pursue other things and she left the sport and, and sports in general, it was mm-hmm. one of these things where you, you needed some time by yourself to hone your own skills before you felt comfortable going out with other people.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean I I just like I said I was of the mindset that I wasn't good enough to race with anybody else you know so or or why would anybody if someone asked me to race with them at the at that time I would always say no because of course in the back of my head I'd be like I I can't keep up with them or you know what have you
1: so what did you do to get better at it what walk us through the experience of the solo racing Skills, practices, how did you get from point A to point B where you felt comfortable racing with other people?
0: I I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time on nav. Um, Obviously you could be as fast as you wanna be, but if your navigation skills are not great, you're gonna be a little slower naturally. I would go to every single orienteering meet that I could get my hands on and I would pick the hardest course. And when I first started going, I would never finish. I would get through maybe half a course because I was either so slow or my nav was so bad that I could never finish a course, but I was determined to go and finish a hard course. And I just kept doing that every weekend through orienteering season. Um, And I would use that as my hiking and my running training as well. Um, And, you know, map skills, you know, learning to read a map on the go, learning to trust the compass, learning to use a compass. Um, And then I would supplement that with um, days in the gym, time on the bike, um, the other runs during the week. And I just kept building, you know, building on that and then just racing as much as possible too. um, there's something to be said for, for being in the environment, race environment and having the transition areas and, you know, all the other people out on course with you as well and having that race pressure, so to speak.
1: And so you went and. So your 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 growth as a racer really came kind of out of the fact that you were willing to accept the fact that because your skill set needed development you had no problem going out there again and again and again and keep getting incrementally better over time.
0: Right. I'm very much um hands-on learner um you know i i love to read and of course read mark latanzi's book and you know other books about adventure racing some of the older school books about adventure racing but until i kept doing the things um it it didn't really register gotcha. so i kept doing all the things you know until it it clicked, and still, even to this day, I mean, like you said, it's what been what nine years now. I mean, I still have bad days navigating. You know, things still don't always register.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, there there are days where we all forget how maps work. Yeah, <laughs> we're all there. But I I think it's important for the newer racer out there who's who's listening to this that your your trajectory wasn't straight up, wasn't a hockey stick. Right. You didn't no. go from A to B that there was there was progression, regression, but there was the consistent attempting of the work. Right. You found yourself at Orienteering meets. You picked the hardest course. You recognize that failure on that course and failure is a relative term, but failure on that course was happening. And you said that you were slow and that your navigation was weak. But at least you had the ability, you had the, the personal capacity to say, I'm not good at this right now, but I'm willing to sacrifice this to get better at it down the road. Um, and I think that's an important thing because so many people coming into a sports is as complex as adventure racing. You have to realize that all of us have had a very, very steep learning curve and, and you really personify that.
0: Even to this day, you, you go out on course and you have a bad map day, right? It's like you've never looked at a map before. Um, I feel like I'm still constantly learning things and you, you go to races and you talk to other racers and you get to know people and you learn other things or different ways of doing things. So I'm still learning, you know, I, I still feel like there's a lot to learn from the racers that have been doing it a lot longer than I have. And any bit of knowledge that I can get or, and try out on my next race or my next training, um, it's, it's worth trying because you never know what's going to work for you. Right. Until you, until you try it. And that's just, that's kind of how I learn. Um, it's just by trying everything and doing it.
1: What did you think was going to be hard for you versus what was actually hard for you? Or did you kind of know what was coming? Did you know that where you struggled and this was going to be a challenge? Or did you surprise yourself at all?
0: Um I think I surprised myself at 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 the whole at how to navigate and the the ability to be able to navigate and and um I guess I don't want to say how quickly I picked that up because it did take time but the basics of it how quickly i picked the basics up um i knew like the physical aspect especially when you get into the longer races um you know you've got to train for it and you know i knew there was going to be some hurdles there but i am one of those people who um i enjoy the training as much as i do the racing and I don't look at my training schedule and grow, you know, not, not to say there aren't some days where I'm like, I don't want to do that. But, you know, I look at it as an opportunity for growth and for improvement and to, to get faster and be stronger. So, um, you know, there's a lot of mindset to it as well, I guess.
1: What was hard about the training?
0: The biking, <laughs> cause I, you know, I wasn't a biker and it didn't own a bike originally. Um, we live in a very rocky terrain area, a lot of Hills, um, in Virginia. And, uh, my husband was a mountain biker is a mountain biker and he, he races now too. He took me out to some of the most technical trails to learn to ride on. And, and his, thought was, well, you know, if you're going to learn to ride, ride not learn on this stuff. Right. And you know, you're wrecking and hitting rocks and door stopping on your bike and stuff and getting frustrated. But again, I treated it like navigation and picked some of the hardest trails and just kept riding.
1: So I'm, so I'm keeping sort of a, a, an informal list of things that you would tell new erasers. And it sounds like one thing here is intentionally do hard things. Like you chose the hardest O course and you chose the hardest place to ride your bike. So it sounds like that was an early part of your ethic that really helped you.
0: For sure. Absolutely. And I still, I mean, even nine years later, I still intentionally do harder things. Um, And I think part of that is because when you're racing and you have a map and things are just clicking, it makes those things when they're clicking that much better because you've already done the heart, you know? And it's like, you now that you're like, this is great. Right. <laughs> it, it makes the great even better when you've done all, you know, a lot of the hard things. Gotcha.
1: When you're going into an event and you've done the, the preparation and you've done the hard work, when you get into it, actually, not that it's easy, easy is a, a difficult term to use, but to your right. point, there's a sense, I think the word is flow, right? When things yeah. are flowing nicely and yeah. they're going really well. Yeah. Yeah. And And I just
0: I like the I like the continual challenge too, right? Like I'm like everybody else. I get bored of things. So anything hard or harder that I can keep doing and challenging myself and racing and training and I'm all for it.
1: Were you always that way? Even as a kid?
0: No. I was a super lazy kid. Super lazy. We lived in the woods and I would climb the occasional tree and walk from the bus stop to the house when my parents wouldn't pick me up um but outside of that I was I was a I was a big reader I was usually always in bed reading a book
1: so no I was super lazy well let's 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 nerd out on the books for a second what were your favorite (laughs) books growing up
0: Oh, I'm definitely a mystery, like psychological thriller reader. I still, to this day, read a lot of those kind of books.
1: So, so in reality, so the, so you still are are attracted to books that are basically puzzles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Which, which jumps over to adventure racing a bit because adventure racing is one big puzzle.
0: Yes, it is. Right,
1: right. Interesting. Interesting. And so obviously the, the transition from being lazy, your word, not mine, being lazy <laughs> to being not being lazy was that you found the social aspect through your friends, which then grew you into adventure racing and the rest is history.
0: Yep. Pretty <laughs> much. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird when you put it that way.
1: <laughs> right. So when, so you mentioned mindset before. Right. So you you've you've checked off the body parts, right? The fact that you you train, you ran, you had gym days, you did hard cycling. But you mentioned mindset. Right. And that's half the battle. So what is your what's your inner talk like? What's your monologue like you're telling yourself when things are hard?
0: I tell myself you you chose to be here. You have you've trained to be here. You want to be here. So, you know, just be here, be, you know, try not to get it frustrated be in the moment you know if you're frustrated great let it out let it go and move on you know it's like at the end of the day um i i enjoy being in the woods and i enjoy seeing new things and being places nobody else really gets to go. And I remind myself of that when things get hard. And if that means I need to sit down for a second and look around and get my head out of the map, then I'll do it. You know, reset the brain and then get moving again.
1: So I think you've already answered my next question was, which was going to be that. Why do we intentionally seek out this kind of discomfort?
0: I, I do. I mean, well, obviously the challenge, the mental challenge, the physical challenge, but it's, it's the opportunity to go places that most people would not and do things most people would not. Um, and it's not just to, to come back and say, oh, you know, I did this or I did that. Cause most people don't understand it anyways. Um, at least for me, it's, it's, you know, mentally knowing For the next time that you've already kind of been in this place, different place, but, you know, kind of the same place before you can do it again, Um, whether it was the past race or a race two years ago, it's, it's, you know, thinking back on that moment, it's like you you can do this. You've done this.
1: Right. There's the express. You know, I, I work with children for a living, and very often we talk about self esteem, <laughs> right? We want you to feel good about yourself. And one thing that we've learned in schools is that me telling you you're a good person does not increase your self esteem. It doesn't happen that way. You going and doing good things, committing esteemable acts, gives you a sense of self esteem. And I think you've touched on a lot of what adventure racers know is that by going out and by doing these hard things and doing them intentionally, choosing to be there, it empowers us to feel better about ourselves when the next hard thing comes along. And there's a bit of a transference to our life outside of adventure racing.
0: Oh, absolutely. I can look back on, you know, how I was five years ago, nine years ago, and it's changed me. You know, I, I think it's changed me for the better. I handle, I feel like I handle day to day situations. Um, calmer than I may have in the past. Um, I self and, you know, readily admit that I used to be easily to frustrate and like quick to anger and, you know, the littlest thing would be the biggest annoyance. And now I find myself going, eh, yeah, it it is what it is. And, and sometimes I even, sometimes I even stop and I think, wow. Five years ago, I'd be so mad right now. <laughs> and today I'm like, whatever, you know, such Wait. is life.
1: And do you, you think that's I think that's the, uh, an outgrowth of the, um, I'm going to use the word callous, not the right word to use, but the fact that these hard experiences, they kind of callous us a little bit. They make us better to meet life's challenges.
0: I don't know. It It almost, the sport has almost given me a, a different outlook on life too. You know, like, you spend a lot, I spend a lot of time alone in the woods, obviously, especially when I was racing solo a lot and it just gave you a lot of time to think and realize what is important and what really isn't important, you know, and, and what, what's worth getting upset about and what's not.
1: <laughs> I agree with that. I also think to the, the racing mindset of, I look at the, the distance between one checkpoint to another as a problem to solve. Yeah. And oh, a big yeah. a big part in life is just solve the next problem. Not that yeah. life it's like get too yeah. philosophical. Life is challenging. Life has problems, but it's not one problem to another. But it's the next thing. Like I've made it to this point. I'm here now. I now need to go to the next point. And and that's what you do. You navigate from spot to spot to spot. And by the time you realize that you're you've traveled a farther distance than you ever thought that you could.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, my husband and I, um, I I work with Greg. He's owned his own business for. 20 years, and I started working with him running some of the back end stuff a year and a half ago now. And in the problem solving skills that I've learned in adventure racing, I find help me with business, with helping him run the business, you know, the day to day stuff like scheduling mishaps and product, you know, misplacement and, you know, not getting things on time. It's like it all at it all. It's weird how it all helps each other.
1: So that six hour buff Betty was nine years ago. Um, and over the course of the years you you've I'm curious to hear about what was it like when you first started racing with other people? What, what did you bring to that? How was that for you?
0: Oh, I was nervous, super nervous, you know, Am I going to keep, you know, am I going to slow him down? If I'm navving, am I going to make mistakes? Are they going to get mad at me? You know, it's like when I, interestingly enough, my first kind of introduction back into racing with others, what I would do is sign up as a soloist and they would sign up as a soloist, but we race together. So that gave me a little bit of comfort in the fact that if I was making them mad or slowing them down, they could leave. And I was okay
1: with it. <laughs> so you, you, you had like, you had like an, an, an emergency exit. Right? Yeah. Actually things-
0: nobody ever left me. They all, we all stuck together, but you know, it kind of gives you that little bit of peace of mind.
1: Well, well, psychologically, that's pretty But Psychologically knowing that no matter what happens, you're not going to weigh down your teammate was a, was a soft entry for you to be a teammate.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I started racing with others. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. And now I kind of have, um, my little core group that, that we consistently race with together. And I am, especially in the past year or so, I'm, I'm much, much more open now um, to having others on my team, uh, even like people I haven't raced with before, or if someone asked me to race with them, I'm much more open to it. And I, a lot of that is due to my confidence level. Right,
1: right, right. You, the sport. Yeah, because now you have capacity. Now you have a skill set because you've you've done those hard things and you've done them successfully. So as a result, you're a different person now than you were X amount of years ago when you first raced by yourself then raced by yourself with other people, right? Solo to solo. And now you race yourself as as a teammate. So, you know, in the team dynamic, I I was chatting with someone the other day who's involved in swim run. um, And he was talking about how the team dynamic is so much different than triathlon or running or even Spartan races. Someone who's worked successfully with teams, Mm -hmm. what makes it go well? What, What do you bring to the table? And what should a good teammate bring to the table to have it be an effective team?
0: for for the the teams that I race with or the the core group of people that I commonly race with, a huge one for me um it comes down to personalities um if we can't all get along and have a same general personality sense um then you know, then it could creep over into the other spe- aspects of racing. So I generally tend to, um, look for, seek out, um, or race with others that have the same, you know, kind of mindset and personality before any other skill level. Gotcha. Um, In, you know, and then you just like, it's dependent upon the race too. like, what are your goals of that race? Is it just for training? Is it, are you trying to race it to win it? You know, that kind of thing. But, um, I think above all else, if you, if you can't have a good time and get along, then you're not going to have a good race, good right. race, you know? Well, well you so, always
1: find too, that it's the, it's the, it's the teammate connection over attitudes and personality will far outweigh the physical capacity
0: Absolutely, by a mile.
1: Right, yeah. right, 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 right. So that's, that's good advice for someone who's listening to this, who's newer, is worry far less about your physical capacity. Not that yet, ha- not that you, you have to have physical capacity. Let's be honest with each other. But right. when you're, when you're in a race and things are challenging and things are hard, it's the, the, the ability, right that you're having in, in terms of working together is what your mind brings to the race that is your greatest mm-hmm. asset, necessarily your physical component.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I want to race with people who are who are like minded, you know, who are not wanting to quit when it gets tough, right. who can help problem solve when it gets tough, who can speak up and know what they need and can voice what they need and, um, you know, can be an active, active teammate, you know, right. and, and laugh when it gets hard, not get angry when it gets hard. I mean. Right we all have our moments. Right. Sure, sure. But if I get angry, just laugh at me and leave me alone. And then in five minutes, I'll be fussed.
1: right. Right. You know? One of the strategy that I've seen, I've used, I've said to my teammates, listen, I'm in a bad place right now. I need a little time by myself. Yep. I'm going to pedal up the road a little bit. I'm not mad at anybody. You've done nothing wrong. I just need to regroup a little bit myself. You regroup, you have a little self therapy session, then you fall back into the team and everything is much better. Right. People yep. who could recognize it about themselves. Right.
0: Yeah, and and people who who can give you that space in that moment and not you know
1: bug you. <laughs> right. Right. Or 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 put it on themselves thinking that they did something wrong to put you yeah. in that spot. Right. Right. Or if they've done right. at least they recognize it in the race. So 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 yes. Okay. So so here's the, the, the Mary Forster rule number four is that personality trumps fitness. Not all the time, but it's a good pretty much a good rule to focus on for new racers. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I've, you know i it, it's huge i am willing to i'm willing to work with somebody if their personality is great and they and we get along really well and you know all that criteria the fitness will come right, right. the fitness will come you know if they're showing me that they're putting in the training and they're doing the work if, that's all I ask. Right. Because right. at the end of the day, I know you're going to work as hard as you can, but we'll have a good time doing it. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And you and you can have a good laugh about it. Right. And, yeah. and you're not necessarily you aren't too worried about where you're placing in the races. It's a growth experience. You're getting better. And I've had the chance over the, the course of the racing that I've done and the racing that you've done. We've, we've seen people who have had that really nice trajectory who've grown into the sport and just gotten better and better and better. And it's wonderful to see that, to look up one day and somebody who was new and having a hard time is now down the road and is doing is really strong in a race. So it's nice to see that. Yeah. Getting into the more, the more nitty gritty of the racing, um, everybody is an N of one. Um, what do you, in terms of nutrition during a race, are you real food? Are you bars and gels? Are you whatever's in your teammates pack? Like what is your, how do you feel yourself during a race?
0: Um, I'll eat whatever. Um, yeah. I don't really, when I first started racing, I, I took it like most people as an opportunity to have it be a sugar fest, right? you know? Um, I have dialed that back some and I have mixed in, you know, more, I guess, savory, salty foods. Um, I can't do the sweet quite like I used to, but um, I'll eat anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, right, there are some people who are just they're able to put down whatever they want during a race. And as a result of that, it's it's, it's great. But I'm assuming for the longer races, you have to work in real food. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I definitely not so much. Um, I don't worry so much about it for the 24 to 30 hour ones. Um, I can still tend to get away with um not being as particular in those races. And I do um I like liquid calories too. Yeah. Um I use scratch products and they yeah. have like the super fuel and stuff like that, so I use some of that. Um, but definitely in you know the much longer races, real food is yeah. is big.
1: Yeah, one thing I've seen more and more of, and and the dark zone by the way has no official sponsors, right? So this isn't a, a product placement at all. Spring energy um, is very very oh, good. Yeah, spring energy. I mean, it's expensive, but the yes. but the, it's expensive. You're paying over two dollars for 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 a goo, but. Yeah. But you can't beat the the quality of the product. um,
0: They're—I don't remember what it's called. They're applesauce. Yeah, cinnamon applesauce one. It's 180 calories, and that small little goo packet. Yeah, and it's delicious. What I mean, applesauce is never a bad thing, right? Right. It's like goes down easy. Plus, you get a little like hydration with it. Yeah. it's a lot of calories. Yeah, I, I eat a lot of
1: those. Yeah, I find that they're, they're, they're 350 calorie um, wolf packs. So it, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost like the, the, the baby food. You're, yep. you're in a race. And I mean, I find over time, I lose the capacity. To, uh, don't worry. If I see a diner or a coffee shop, we're stopping, we're <laughs> eating a burger. But I find <laughs> that my ability to put down solid food runs out during a race. Yeah. And knowing I've but those 350 calorie wolf packs are just there it's cause it's, it's, it's a lot of calories really quickly. It's not a lot of weight on your system and off you go. Um, yeah, so spring energy, if South you're out guys. there, spring energy, feel free to send stuff my way, but I agree with you. I think they're very, very strong. And I do also agree with you that for the 24 to 36 hour races, you can get away with a lot of food that isn't really matter. It's when it gets longer, it gets a lot harder.
0: I was just going to say, I do a lot of like the applesauce pouchy type things just because it's easy.
1: Right. Right. This goes right down. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. especially when you start losing your appetite later in the race. Because I find that yeah. I have a tough time, you know, the writing joke is my teammate, Jim, gets mad at me because after a big, long day, I just want to go to bed. And he's like, <laughs> you have to eat something. You can't, yeah. you cannot eat something. So that's that's a, a thing I've learned over time. Um, what about gear? How did what- you sometimes newer racers have a little bit of gear paralysis because there's so much choice and there's so much between the shoes and the packs and the clothes and this and that. How, how have you grown in your understanding of what gears works, works for you?
0: So I probably am much like other racers that started with some gear and that is not the gear I'm using now. Right. Um, but the gear that I use now I'm pretty set on. So I've been using it consistently for a handful of years at this point. Um, as far as like the pack and the shoes. And, sure.
1: what's, your, and what's your what's your your pack this? choice? What do you like?
0: My go-to for 24 hour ish races is the Osprey Duro pack. Yep. Nice pack. I love that pack. Very nice. Yeah. Um, for anything longer, I have the ultimate direction. I think mm-hmm. it's the fast pack. 30.
1: Yep. Yep. UD very strong. Looks, yep.
0: Yeah. I love that pack too. Um, those are my, those are my go-to packs and then shoes. I wear the Topo um, mountain racers. I think okay. they are. Um, those are my go-to
1: shoes. How about foot care? What are you, were you with socks and goo? And feet? because for one of the most common struggles that newer racers have is the fact that their feet just fall apart on them. If they're wet, if they're, if they're just, they get all beaten up. How how do you take care of your feet during a race?
0: So interestingly enough, that was not an issue for me until the past uh, year. Um, Prior to that, I didn't really do anything. Um, Just put some socks on and (laughs) went for
1: it. That's like 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 Earl Blanchard, who was just on the last episode, (laughs) that he did nothing for his feet. He wore the same socks for eight years. He's like same socks. That's all I had to do. No goo, no nothing. Meanwhile, I look like a science (laughs) experiment. And this guy's walking around like feet, like Bigfoot.
0: All right. I don't know. I did change my socks at least. Um, I might like would maybe apply some KT tape here and there every once in a while. But um, I had Lyme disease and it I don't know what it did, but it changed something that affected my feet. Um, so now I'm a huge goo fan. Uh, I, the, the haiku, run yeah. goo. It's
1: a great, haiku is uh, the greatest. Yeah.
0: I love that stuff. When we did endless, um, the five day, that stuff was gold. Yeah. <laughs> that in, in KT tape for hot spots. Um, so that's, those are my kind of now two go-tos for foot care.
1: Now you did the, you did five day endless mountain adventure race, which by the way is coming back June, 2023, sign up now mm-hmm. people. Um, you did endless mountains that was that your first five day race? It was, it was. Okay. Okay. And yep. obviously we talk a lot more about it in episode 36, but what was the big lesson that you took out of that race? Cause here you are, you're nine years down the road. You went from the, the six hour buff Betty, where you had to learn how to learn how to read a compass during the race to now going to five days. That sounds like a pretty quick jump. Did you do the traditional six to 12 to 24 to 30? Like What is your, what is your racing pedigree been like to tackle five days or did you, or did you just go for it and say, let's go, let's go. It's in my backyard. I'm going for it.
0: No, I definitely did. I would say like a normal trajectory of, you know, the six to 12. And then, um, once I did my first 24, which was, uh, Shenandoah Epic, I don't remember what year, I think 2015. I think 2015 was the first year I did the a first 24. I was hooked on 24. I love overnight. That's my favorite. 24 hours, really my absolute favorite. 24, 30. Um, so once I started doing those, I, that's all I wanted to do was 24, you know, hour and 30 hour races. I didn't run to do anything shorter. Um, and I off. I don't really anymore. I'll do a 12 hour, but that's about as short as I go. Yeah, now. It has to be close
1: traveling for yeah. 12 hours is kind of rough you know yeah. but if it's yeah i would do a 24 hour every weekend
0: yeah oh yeah it's great the overnight yeah. i just i love the overnight hours
1: so you do okay um, between 2 and 5 a.m. you're fine because that, cuz that's the once again here's a tip for the newer racer out there if you're doing an overnight race ignore every thought feeling and emotion between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. yeah make it make it to sunrise and, and then ignore, see how you feel
0: ignore any thought feeling or emotion in ta during that time period too, because that won't, right. that could make you quit a race and then you feel bad that you quit a race for right, right. whatever was happening in that moment. but and, um, I,
1: and I, I, will, I will name check Jonathan Neely right now, Jonathan Neely. he calls the fire blanket rock. He says like like oh. your ship will smash up against it. do not go anywhere near the fire during a race.
0: I mean, everybody will tell you in adventure racing, don't go near the fire pit yeah. <laughs>
1: It pulls you in and it's lights out after that. For sure. So you, so you, you made the jump. So, so after knocking out a 24 racing overnight and then 30 or 36, you felt that a leap to a, to a five day race was, was within your capacity.
0: Well, I did do, um, I did do c to c
1: Okay. So it's three days. So it's not really an expedition race. It's three days. Okay.
0: Right. Um, I did that COVID year of COVID. That was the last thing we did before, yeah, before COVID. Um, And then in, I believe it was 20, I believe it was 2018, um, Adventure Enablers was hosting a three-day race in um, Virginia. Um, And so I had a, a team to do that, but we actually ended up dropping after like, I think twenty four hours. Okay. Um. The it was a weird. I it wasn't anything physical. Um. There was a bunch of hurricanes coming in, so they were. Oh, shutting was that the race that it was? Of, he had
1: Mark had to redo the whole course. Yeah, and it, like it the was one before. big, it was one big out and back. I remember right. this. Yeah, and kudos yep. to him for pulling that off. But I heard that was a crazy yes. race. Okay.
0: It was, we ended up, we were supposed to start like Friday morning and we ended up starting at like 8 p.m. Thursday night to try and get ahead of this hurricane, which never even happened. And um, we all just, we got to one section and we all just, it was a mental thing. Like the thought of having to come back through there in a day and a half or what have you after how hard it had been to get yeah. there we were all just like this is and psychologically you know, that's hard yeah and that's what it was like physically we were all fine um you know it was it was purely psychological at that point and uh we you know it was like in my head since that day I was like I'm going to come back and do a expedition race, you know, I need, I need revenge on a multi-day race. Right. Right. And so now that
1: you, and so now that you you're able to to check off the box of the five day endless mountains, what do you see as being your, clearly you're driven by growth. There's a trajectory that goes, it's now, no, it's now November, 2022, we're, we're entering winter up here in the Northern hemisphere. What does the future look like for you? Going back to Shenandoah Epic, you're looking at another five-day race. You're going to go to a different race, a bigger race someplace else. But where where are you you going next?
0: So, actually, next year, to, I guess, essentially build on that, um, we're looking at doing two five-day races.
1: Okay. What two?
0: So, we're um, we're looking at doing Expedition Ozark uh, beginning of April and then um, uh, Endless again. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's like, well, now that we know we can do one, let's see if we can do two. <laughs> so, what,
1: so, you know, and there's no greater experience, learning experience than actually doing a five day race itself. What do you think you're going to take into that experience that you learned at the first endless mountains? Like where, where will you be a different racer?
0: Um, I know that I can do it now. Granted, it's not going to be the same course. It's not going to be the same weather. It's not going to be the same five days, but I have that knowledge that I've done it and can do it and I can do it again. So, um, you know, the goal would be to, to do it even better. I mean, endless last year was absolutely amazing. Um, I can't wait to do it again next year. So it's, it's, to build on endless last year, I I want to do it better. I want to do it faster. I want to, you know, it's like looking back on it and having kind of a post post race team meeting. It's like, we all felt way better than we expected to. So we all know that we had some left in the tank, but going into it, we didn't know how we were going to feel on right. day five, day four. So I think we, we were a little reserved, um, which is fine. You know, we just wanted, our only goal was to finish a five day race. And now that we've done that, we are kind of chomping at the bit to do it even better.
1: Yeah. In our, our talk back at episode 36, you said something, um, that, that echoed with me that when I went to Scotland to go race, we actually quoted you in our pre-race planning was the idea that you wanted to touch every part of the course. Yes, that was a big part of your that was hunting Bigfoot's big goal for endless mountains. And I I actually made that rule number five, by the way, touch every part of the course. And I think that for the newer racer, when you're when you're when you're tackling a race, whether it be a six hour, 12 hour, whatever it is, even a four hour race, set the goal of touching every part of the course. Remember, there will always be mandatory, mandatory checkpoints and optional checkpoints. Um, And don't spend too much time in any one part of the course. Finish the course. Very few people go full course. I mean, that's a, a big learning curve for a lot of newer racers. It blows their mind that people don't do the entire course because they live in a marathon Spartan triathlon culture where everyone does the entire course. Well, that doesn't and, happen. And
0: not to interrupt you, but something to that point. Um, I've been racing nine years now. I can count on one hand the number of courses I've cleared. Right. But the number of races that I've done really well in and placed in the top 10 and and podium is way more than that. Um, so it's you you don't have to again be, you know, the f- fastest, the the best um, at every sport or your navigation to do well in this sport. Sure, um
1: sure. and there are teams and, that probably set the goal to clearly course that ended up being way off the podium because they spent too much time in any one section.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And it happens all the time. I never, um, I honestly still to this day, I never go into a course expecting to clear it. I have a big plan and I have an overall plan, but I'm not upset when that plan needs to change or get cut back or I have to start cutting checkpoints. Um, because at the end of the day, it's time management, right? right? And it's like if that's if that's how I need to manage the time to make it back and and finish with a at a time that I'm comfortable with finishing, not seconds to spare. Um, but our our main team goal is, like you said touch every part of the course. I mean, right. that's why we're out there.
1: And I think you rip up a good point too, when it comes to navigation and team dynamics, there's always a navigator, right? A lead navigator, whoever he or she may be, their job is to bury their nose in the map, but I can't yep. emphasize enough to teams. You need to have someone with a macro thought of the course, someone who yeah. sees the entire course and is able to say at some point, listen, guys, clock's ticking. We're this far away. Because sometimes navigators, God bless them, are so focused on the next checkpoint. Like they live right, problem the problem that they they lose sight of the big picture, and all of a sudden you find yourself up front on the course and you run the risk of not making it back in time, right, so you need to have that micro management of the course versus the macro understanding of what's going on.
0: I think one of the benefits for me for having raced solo for so long is i I gain that ability to have that micro but also the overall picture right. in the back of my head because there was nobody else to do it for me. Right. So I had to, I had to manage my own time. Um, so I have, I'm it's, I I think there's a valuable lesson in racing solo. I think everybody should do it. Um, and not all the time and not every race, but I think you, I think there's a whole nother aspect of learning. Um, when you, when you go out there and you do it alone, Gotcha. Um, especially with with the maps and, like you said, having the micro nav and the and the um, time management and just all the pieces are all on you. And to be able to do that and then add that into a team dynamic, um, it's
1: it's big. Well, you have to go in. You have to go in as a pretty strong teammate, right? If you're able to, if you have the capacity to, to race solo and to manage all that, you only bring a benefit to the team. Cause, cause you've done it by, you've done it by yourself, but the right attitude, you'd help the team out.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. What is your,
1: what's, what's your day-to-day training like now?
0: Um, so I actually, this week am just starting, um, my kind of rebuild building up for next year, um, because I have those, the two big five days on the calendar. Um, I, I will sprinkle in, um, some other races, as far for training and, and things. But, um, so this literally this week is, is the start of our kind of building for next, next year. Um, so doing some testing, doing some retesting this week, like FTP test on the bike and and run testing. Um, the past, I don't know, two or three months have been weird for me. Um, crazy work schedule, some, sickness that was lingering stuff like that so um a lot less training than I would normally do day to day um so I'm looking forward to the rebuild and kind of getting back into it um in the gym during during race season I'm, I usually try to keep at least two days of strength training in the gym um through this kind of build for next year, I'll be in the gym three days doing strength training and then supplementing that with um, biking and running, uh, sprinkled on the other days and then definitely on the weekends.
1: Big weekends. Do you have a, do you work with a coach?
0: I do. And mm-hmm. Who's your I coach? Jen. Jen Seger? Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Jen Seger.
0: Yep. Jen. I started working with Jen in April. I think it was April of 2020. Okay. I started working with her. Um, Prior to that, I had used a triathlon coach who said he had done some adventure racing and had some knowledge of the sport. And then I did get some growth from him, for sure. I mean, any kind of, you know, consistent, progressive training, you're going to get growth from. Um, But you could tell that he, you know, that little bit of adventure racing aspect was definitely missing um, from the, from the, the training plan. Um, so when I, after c to c in 2020, um, I was kind of like everybody else, like, what do we do? Where do we go? I need something to focus on. Right. So I, I, um, started working with Jen and have been with her ever since. She's awesome.
1: You could certainly adventure race, not have a coach. You do not need to have a coach to be, to be an adventure racer by no means. Oh, for sure if if you want to sharpen the spear, right. If you, and if you really want to really kind of see how far you could, you could tighten yourself up for that. A, a coach helps in any single aspect of your life, not even adventure racing life coaches, ad, a, a athletic-based coaches, corporate coaches, having someone outside your experience talking to you about it is a huge thing. And Jen Seger, who's been a, a guest of the dark zone we have her coming on again in the next few weeks. Um, Jen has really proven to be one of the preeminent coaches working inside the sport. She does a really, really nice job again and again and again. People work with her and have really good results.
0: She's awesome. I, I love working out and I love riding my bike and I love training, but sometimes I love it too much that I'll go and do like all the things and none of it's consistent. None of it's progressive and none of it makes any sense. I'm just right. having a good time, which is what I did for years. And it, it worked. Right. Um, right. But I also don't, I don't like to have to think of things to do. Right. So just being able to open training peaks and be like, Oh, Jen wants me yeah. to do this today. It's great. Right. right. You know, I don't right. have to think about it. I just go and, and do the things. And she, you know, she's an adventure racer herself and she's been coaching a long time. So she, she knows you need downtime and some days you just want to go ride your mountain bike and not right. you know, sit on the trainer for two hours. Um So it's awesome that she also works that into, and you know, if I'm having a day where I just want to go mountain biking, cause I had a bad day and I tell her, I just wanted to go mountain biking. She's like, okay.
1: Yeah. I love it. i the plan. When I see my coach writes totally free day, do whatever you want.
0: Isn't it's like, great? Oh,
1: this is the greatest. Great. And then yeah. I, I I come back six hours later. Like this is the best <laughs> thing ever. Cause I do agree with you. I think adventure racers, um, a lot of us don't struggle for the desire for movement. And if we're not careful, we could, we could have a lot of garbage movement, right? It's not, not everything training wise yeah. is going to get you there. But the that's I that's kind
0: of where I was. I was at the place where I was, I was doing all the things and, you know, going to the gym. I was doing, still doing CrossFit at the time. Um, you know, and I was riding my bike on the weekends and I was, I was focusing on the things I wanted to do, but they weren't necessarily getting me where I wanted to be. Um, you know, I had to learn that oftentimes there's the, there's the misconception that you need to go out and mountain bike because we ride mountain bikes in adventure racing. Well, it took me, you know, years to learn that, you know, riding any kind of endurance riding right. for hours is more of a benefit than going and mountain biking, you know, right. for for an hour. Um, so things like that, you know, have have I've picked up on and just learned over the years.
1: Sometimes it's fun just to throw that that at the wall to see if it sticks because it shows you how tough you could be.
0: Yep. Oh, we used to, when Samantha and I were uh, training together when she was still racing, we used to throw our packs on, weight them down with whatever we could find.
1: Water, carry a lot of water. Yep.
0: Go tromp around town in 30 degrees and fresh snow and just walk all the hills we could find. And then we'd end up at Waffle House eating dinner at you know, nine 30 at
1: night. (laughs) Right. Or as we call it, adventure race, heaven. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's like, where
0: do you want to be in the middle of the night during an adventure race? A waffle house. Waffle
1: house. You turn a corner. You see a coffee shop. It's the greatest thing in the world. Please. (laughs) uh, You've you're, you're, you're now reading my mail. You know exactly where I want to be. Um, Well, I I, I have to tell you, Mary, you've been as expected, you've been an excellent, excellent guest for our our listeners at home. (laughs) I want to, I want to recap the, the five rules, the Forster rules, if you will. Um, One was the idea that you intentionally do hard things, right? You could, you could throw yourself into something that's difficult, challenging. I think the biggest problem that people run into is that they, they think something's going to be hard and they're going to look bad doing it. And so they don't even try it. It's okay to look bad doing it. Um, The second thing you tell yourself is remember that it's a choice that you're choosing to be there. And that takes away the ability for you to, to cl- complain and carry on too much during a race. Um, you said that three, you will see life differently. And I agree with that, that you definitely, as a result of adventure racing, it changes your perspective. Um, number four, personality beats performance, right? Yep bring yourself to the race, be the best teammate you could be. It's going to make up for a lot of of physical uh, deficiencies that you may think you have, which you probably don't even have. And the last thing was touch every part of the course. Yeah. Enjoy the full experience. Um, Any closing thoughts before we sing a Um. I
0: mean, speaking to those racers who are, who are trying to be better, get better, or just getting into the sport, it's, it's just keep doing, you know, keep doing the things don't be afraid to go out solo and do the things, you know, I feel like that's a valuable experience while it is a team sport, um, that those solo experiences, I feel like really helped me get to, to where I I am now.
1: Thank you, Mary Foster, for joining the Dark Zone. A true trajectory to follow, someone to aspire to, has been a great example for so many racers, myself included. We're grateful to have her on the show. Thank you, listener, for being here for the Dark Zone. We are all fan supported. If you like what we do and want to tell the world, please visit your platform of choice and click and like and friend and favorite. And always feel free to reach out to me, Brian at ardarkzone.com, if you have any thoughts or suggestions. We love the sport. We love the racers. We love talking about adventure racing. So feel free to reach out. Be safe out there and have fun.